Hey folks, welcome into Onto Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney. Trade deadline edition. It's not quite the trade deadline as we're recording, but it is the Monday before the Tuesday deadline, and the Cubs don't play again until after the deadline. So for their purposes, they're effectively in deadline mode. Um, And we'll get into what is and isn't happening yet and the relationship to the rebuilding process that the Cubs are going through, whatever label they want to put on it. Uh, But I wanted to start with the game last night. Uh, It ends, Cubs lose, and once again we have hugs and emotion in the dugout with Wilson Contreras clearly feeling it again and um, wholly appropriate for what he's been going through. But it, it, it to me was just another reminder of how hard, especially the last week, has to have been for him to to truly separate your mind from what's going on at the periphery to like focusing on the next pitch, focusing on the next pitch. Because we know in this game, any tiny little bit that you're off, you know, is, is going to affect you. And so I'm sure, as I saw in his quotes, and you guys can speak to it, uh, Mooney, I believe you were there, that just that he's ready to be done with this. Yeah, I think that was his exact quote. <laughs> like, I can't wait for this to be over or, or whatever it was. And yeah, that moment sitting in the dugout at the end of the game is where reality sunk in for him again. Uh, he's really done a great job of, kind of blocking out the noise really up until kind of maybe the all-star break. And he acknowledged and manager David Ross acknowledged that uh, it has started to weigh on him and that there's no doubt in David Ross's mind that that has impacted his on-field play recently. It was very noticeable that Wilson was uh, kind of avoiding us in San Francisco um, and when I had asked him that yesterday, he was like, admitted it. He just said, I didn't want to say something I would regret later. Um, we're talking uh, before those first three games in San Francisco, maybe seeing him for a glimpse here or there before disappearing down a hallway or into a room that's off limits to media. Or before yesterday's game, it was he was there briefly with his headphones on, you know, kind of in no... Uh, mood or space uh, to talk to us. And then finally yesterday we got him and he was great. He was uh, honest. He was shrugging. He was smiling. He was laughing. Um, But that main message was, you know, I can't wait for this to be over, which is a really uh, unfortunate way for his 14th year in the organization to end him just like trying to not look at his phone, but then I'm sure he will today. Said he's going to play some video games to try and distract himself. Just anything to not think about the trade deadline that's really consumed uh, this team for a while now. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a sentiment that can be spread out uh, in various ways, right? I mean, I know I've grown tired of having to ask the same questions to all these guys over the past couple of months. Uh, you know, a, a repeat of last year, but extended from what, like from the beginning of May, essentially, we've been asking these questions. Uh, thankfully, it's a clubhouse full of guys who haven't 
who understand what our jobs are and and haven't snapped at us in any way because multiple times over the past two weeks i'd say guys are like basically like you can tell they're exhausted by it but they're also they've also said i get it's your job i don't really i can't really think about that i have to focus on the game type stuff type answers we've gotten a lot of that lately and i and I, I mean, everybody's just sick of that. And honestly, it's a, it's a sentiment that I, I think Cubs fans uh, can kind of grab a hold of in the sense that when does this end as far as selling guys at the deadline? I, I can't wait for this to be over in the sense, when is this going to be a winning team that doesn't sell off the best players that all the fans have all fallen in love with, right? That's that's easy for for fans to kind of that 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 should be their rallying cry, right? I I mean it. it I, I'm curious how David Ross feels about it. We know how Jed feels about it. Jed's pretty pragmatic about these things. He doesn't like to lose by any means, but uh, we we know he runs things like a lot of front offices run things nowadays, and and you have to be a little cold blooded about it. And I understand that. I see his perspective, but. I can't imagine David Ross wants to go through this uh, even one more time. Uh, he may have to, but who who knows how things look in 2023. But that's not his his mentality. That's not the way he doesn't like to go out there with a team that he feels is overmatched. Uh, and he likes to go out there thinking he can win every game. It's hard to do. It's going to be hard to do when when this trade deadline is passed, right? To to go out there and say like, yeah, my team has equivalent or better talent on the field. Anything can happen in a, in in one baseball game, right? But it's going to be hard to go out there uh, uh, Tuesday night and forward the rest of the season and say, yep, the Cubs are more talented than that team on the field. Especially if Juan Soto is there on the field for the Cardinals. <laughs> Man, oh right. gosh, making myself feel sick with that one. I, and you know uh, what? I, I'll I, I won't. I'll just say it right now that could end up being better for the Cubs deadline wise, not for the Cubs on the field immediately, but deadline wise, that may end up being the thing they want, which is truly messed up. I like it's. It, I mean, you know what I'm saying, Brett, but it, it, like you can't. I can't imagine Cubs fans will be in the slightest bit happy. But if they can keep Juan Soto away from the Padres, that like AJ Preller is a crazy person in the sense that he will. He's one of those few GMs left that'll make that big deal and give up prospects and and really be aggressive. And he's in win now mode, so all the more reason to do that. If they can get a couple big names and a big deal for however many players it is, whether it's uh, Wilson and Hap package together, if Robertson's in there as well, if they can get some big names from from the Padres, that that really would be, I mean, a, a system that's on the up already. Uh, it would be a top three system probably if, if the right players are involved in that deal. And I'm talking about like Hassel, James Wood, Jackson Merrill. These are all guys that are either in top 100s now or on the periphery and get and, and super high upside talents. Well, a couple of thoughts on that, both responding to that, but also it'll transition us kind of nicely into the next phase of this conversation that uh, you're right. It's a, just a terrible choice that, fans are left with at least that Juan Soto going to the Cardinals would open up the best impact possibility for the Cubs trade-wise. And indeed, it was overnight, I believe, Ken Rosenthal wrote, and then Mooney, you mentioned it in your piece on Wilson Contreras, that there is, it's still something that's being explored. Cubs and Padres with a 
uh, not just a Ian Happ, Wilson Contreras combo deal, but also David Robertson in there. And also there is still the discussion of the Cubs taking Eric Hosmer's contract. And it is, you know, once you divorce your mind from the loss of players that you like, it is very easy for the fan mind to start running like, whoa, if the Cubs send them all three of those guys and they take Hosmer's contract, this return is going to be massive. And while that's fair to think about, I suppose the caution that I put up to fellow fans is not just that that requires Juan Soto not going to the Padres. And if he's not going to the Padres, the most likely place could be St. Louis. So you have to set that part aside in your mind. But then you also have to remember, even as aggressive as A.J. Preller is, think about it from the Padres' perspective. Does it really sound that attractive to add those three pieces, uh, really substantially change your clubhouse uh, just by bringing in so many impactful bodies on short-term moves and just eating away the top of your farm system in a, in a really dramatic way so that you can unload a contract and bring in some short-term guys? I don't know. It doesn't sound super compelling to me. Uh, I'd love it from the other side of it, but it tends to be the case in these discussions where if, 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 if you're thinking something sounds awesome, it's usually because the other side is thinking, boy, that sounds not great. Um you know, I'll let you ride on that a bit, Mooney, if you want to say anything. And then uh, I want to talk about some of the prospect stuff that, that's well, hot. Well, clearly when you at. look at the uh, grand scope of uh, professional sports history in North America, you look at the Padres alongside the New England Patriots and the Golden State Warriors of recent, you know, vintage. Like, how many times are the Cubs going to keep doing this? Like, it's just, I... I get that Preller is this wild card and that there always has to be, you know, something out there, but just, I don't know. It's just, it's been a lot of like ex Padres San Diego stuff since Theo got here. And like, like how many good prospects do they have after the uh, Darvish deal and their farm system? I mean, and if you're a Cubs fan, you're like, well, how come we can't get those? It's just, it just kind of blows my mind. And uh, you know, we'll see, I guess, what shakes out, you know, by the end and, you know, what, you know, is kind of what are rumors and what are, what actually happens, but I don't know. Are they trying to build, you know, a roster with like 12 X Padres? Like it just seems like there's just been a lot of Padres over the years from Rick Renteria. Obviously the Rizzo deal worked out well, so, you know, they certainly can hang their hat on that and I'm obviously being facetious but just at a certain point it's kind of like okay they've been talking about this for how long and like how many times are we going to go back to this well I don't know I also took red eye flight so I'm just a little more irritated so it's just like you know that's, that's <laughs> kind of where I'm coming from like, no, Padres I think, really I, yeah I mean it's <laughs> you do think about that same you know, obviously because the the current Cubs front office still has some tentacles that reach back to the Padres front office from Jed's time there. And uh, certainly we saw a lot of that with the Red Sox stuff and even the, the, the tree extends out to the Diamondbacks. And um, I mean, there, there is something, certainly something to you deal with folks that you're able to deal with and that you've got a comfort level that you know how to evaluate their players because maybe you think about them similarly. But, but Mooney's right. At some point, you're you're going to not be able to make the most out of your situation if you aren't 
branching out wider. And I guess the last thing I'd say about the Padres, and, and this was something that we've been talking about for literally 12 months, the, the buying, you know, taking on Air Cosmer's contract to buy a prospect. And it only occurred to me in the last day or so, a, a huge part of the reason why I keep banging that drum is this is one way the Cubs can behave unlike the other four teams in the NL Central. You know, they all get the free draft pick, you know, the competitive balance pick. They get some advantage status in the international market. They get some advantage status with respect to luxury tax rules, with respect to revenue sharing, all of these things in the CBA and the previous CBA that are predicated on the idea that we've got to advantage these smaller market teams because teams like the Cubs will otherwise run roughshod over them. Well, we know that that isn't the case in the NL Central, or at least it hasn't been yet. But that's why, I, like, again, this was just a realization that came to me about my, that I hadn't made explicit to myself, is if we see the Cubs buy Eric Hosp, you know, buy that prospect with his co contract, finally, it's like there's something we can point to and say, yeah, that's something the Cubs can do and should do that maybe the other central teams could not do. And that's what balances the scales. Because, uh, again, they aren't doing it with their payroll right now. Maybe they will in the future. They have in the past. Maybe they will in the future. But I just think about that as it, it's almost like the system is set up to explicitly contemplate big market teams like the Cubs doing things like this to bring in extra talent. And I just want to see the Cubs actually do it. So, yeah, that, that maybe we'll, we'll leave that there. We'll talk about some of the prospect stuff now because I know, Sahadev, you mentioned before we started recording that uh, Keith Law dropped a new, uh, an updated top 60 that is uh, a really good time for it because it's thinking about the draft. It's setting people up with sort of updated rankings before a lot of these trades go down and we can kind of maybe rethink um some of the public placements because one thing we run into every year at this time and we saw it last year is a trade goes down and inevitably a fan base is not familiar with all the prospects in some other farm system we're just not some of us some of us masquerade like we are but we're not we're looking at the same list as everyone else we're studying the same stats yeah we may bring a little bit of experience to it and sort of how to evaluate guys but in reality we know vanishingly little compared to the collection of scouts and executives and pundits that will piece that stuff together and update lists after the season. That's when you really get a better sense of how these players are being evaluated and how they developed this year. So that is one, my big word of caution before these trades go down and whatever the returns are for the Cubs and you're like, what, this guy isn't even on their top 30? Chill, baby. There might be a good reason why that, that updating hasn't happened. Okay, so you have to really take a step back and evaluate the, um, the whole situation. And then second, again, look to last year, right? Two uh, of the guys the Cubs received last year at the deadline now show up on Keith Law's top 60. Pete Crow Armstrong, very high up, and Kevin Alcantara slides in at number 60. At the time of the trades last year, so... I'll focus on PCA for a moment because he's the one that gets all these rumors out of New York like, oh God, we don't want to accidentally trade another PCA. Well, at the time of that trade, which by the way, cost the Cubs not just to Javi Baez-Rental, but cash 
and Trevor Williams, who did have value. So, like, chill on acting like it was just a rental trade. PCA had uh, been a top pick during the pandemic year, so valuations were already a little bit limited. He had played six games as a professional before injuring his non-throwing shoulder and having surgery. The ability to evaluate him in advance of that trade was mostly back to when he was like a junior in high school. So it was not at all known that he was going to become who he became, but the Cubs had done that scouting. They had a belief and they had a belief in their development infrastructure to, to maybe make him all the better, which is what has happened. And now he is a clear top 50 prospect. And I think you want to keep that in mind when, in what is coming in these deals. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, that, there's my tee up for you guys. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to give credit. I think there's two areas uh, that stand out to me when I think about this current deadline and the last deadline. The first is uh, their pro scouting clearly is on top of this stuff, right? Their, their pro scouting has done a good job of late. They, they did a lot of homework on a lot of the guys that they got, and it wasn't just leading up to uh, – the trade deadline uh, they they've been those were guys that they had a ton of information on prior to that they collaborated with whether it was their international department to make sure that they had uh, all the info on Alcantara even you know pre-signing with the Yankees and they sat on Alcantara and complex league and 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 all that stuff that they'd, they'd been on top of him for a while uh they worked with uh, they talked to people about uh whether it was owen casey all the way back in the in the you darvish trade or talked to you know their amateur department with regards to pca so these guys are are on top of things as they should be i'm not saying like that's that's you know they're going that this is some special case and no other teams are doing this a good pro scouting department needs to be doing that one thing that does kind of stand out to me though is why why are the padres able to do this why are the padres able to be in the juan soto uh deal patrick touched on it but there's no reason why they should be in theory, right? People were telling me after all the trades they made a year and a half ago, man, they just decimated their system. That's not a good look. Okay, well, if the Cubs were doing their job, they'd be getting these guys in the second and third rounds as well, right? They, If they were doing things right, they we wouldn't be talking about this rebuild right now. We wouldn't be – you should be able to go out and get guys and then trust your amateur scouting de department to replenish the system. How are they able to trade all these guys, decimate – I'm doing the quote thing – decimate their system and then be at the top of the list for Juan Soto? It makes no sense in theory, but it's because they do such a good job with drafting. And the same thing with the Cardinals. Every article I read, it's like they don't have any of these – all these guys were guys that they drafted. And they don't have any top 10 picks. They didn't need to tank to get all these players. And their system is stacked. And they pick after pick after pick guys that are like, oh, well, this guy's a top 100 guy or he's rising and he's going to be a top 100 guy. And it's just name after. And, of course, the Dodgers are in there, too. All three of these teams are doing a better job than what the Cubs should be doing. We'll see how good this current amateur scouting department is. Uh, we, we we seem to have some uh, some good info on on player development. We got to wait on results at the major league level to really buy in on that. 
amateur scouting, I, I, I think we still need to see what's up here because just the last two years, 2020, I think the 2020 draft for the Cardinals, there's so many names that are just exploding right now. And the 2021 draft for the Padres is a big reason why they're in on Soto. Like, it doesn't it, – sometimes you don't need so – you don't even need those guys to turn into major league players, right? You don't need them to turn into major league players for it to be a success. You need guys that other teams value for your drafts to turn into to, to a success. Uh, I don't know if that's the case yet for the Cubs. We'll see uh, down the line. But the reality is the Cubs don't have these players that other teams are just desperately coveting outside of guys that they've mostly acquired in the last year and a half. And that I think that's a big problem that we need to see if it they've made moves to to correct that, but we don't really know if it's been rectified yet. And I think just it's just stare every article I read. I'm just like, what are you kidding me? The Cardinals have this many guys that are valued so highly by the rest of the league. The Padres still have guys. I was told that they traded everybody. Well, apparently they didn't. And now the Cubs want those guys too. So it's just it's just really interesting to me that that those teams are able to do it and, and Cubs fans have to suffer through all those these losing seasons in order to get those teams. Well, we we don't get, have that extra draft pick. It's not just the extra draft pick that's that's killing them here. It's uh, I, I get what you're saying, Brett. Those teams do have an advantage that the Cubs don't in that sense. But that's not the. That's hey not man, the, <laughs> that's not what I was saying. I, I mentioned the extra draft pick. I'm saying no, no, no. That's why the Cubs should spend more. That's all. Yeah, I'm yeah, saying. yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, CBA yeah, yeah. I know you're not defending them, but I'm just saying, like, it's they need to. Yeah, they need to pull these levers, like you're saying. Take on that money if that's going to get them the extra talent. Go for it. But they also need to do a better job with what they have. Brett, I love the P- PCA stuff. You've been writing on it uh, at Bleacher Nation just because I find it, it just sums up kind of how these front offices like think, overthink these days of like the Mets being like, oh man, like I had no idea PCA was going to be this good. He was a first round draft pick out of high school. He didn't even have a high senior high school season. He had like what, like two games? And then... The Cubs get all this credit for developing this guy who was playing for Team USA since he was like 12 years old. Like the high school he went to just churns out first round draft picks left and right. Um, He grew up in Southern California, like the absolute hotbed for amateur baseball. It's like, like, I mean, it's just like, oh, who knew PCA? It's like everyone like that's why he went in the first round and the cubs knew he was this good that's why they decided to pass on him in the first round of that draft like three or four picks ahead and and i think it's just like why this deadline um why everything happens towards the deadline it's because these front offices that use these like pressure and stall tactics on free agents now use them against one another and that instead of teams coming in like, hey, you know, we you know, we love PCA in the draft. You know, maybe we should have drafted him. There was, you know, some internal debate about him. You know, let's come here, see what we're going to do. And the Mets realizing, hey, we're in New York. We're in a pennant race. Uh, you know, we've got great players on our team right now. We need some help. Let's do it. Who cares if PCA's, you know, figures things out at the major league level, like seven years from now, like, let's just go for it. You know, we're confident in our drafting and development systems. Like, no, it's becoming, 
you know, we need to make sure we get down to the exact fraction of a decimal point, the proper amount of future value for these assets we currently hold uh, in our team hotel outside St. Louis. Like, it's just absurd. <laughs> it is It is funny to view everything that we do see out publicly and what we hear privately from from folks uh, through that lens uh, of exactly what you're saying, where it's like nothing, nothing that comes out can be read at a surface level. There's always a layer underneath it where you're like, well, what are they really like? What what is the goal of this and what are they really saying? And uh, certainly, like you said, that it's just it's been very tough for me to buy that the, the Mets are so scarred by what happened with the the Baez Williams PCA deal that they just could not possibly part with the <laughs> fifth or sixth or seventh ranked prospect who who they totally value just as much as Francisco Alvarez who's literally the top prospect in baseball boy that's a tough spot to be in for the Mets well in any case uh <laughs> We will uh, start to wrap it there because, you know, we we can talk a lot more about this stuff, but it's all hypothetical because, frankly, things are going to happen over the next 36 hours that are going to dramatically change um, not just the, the nature of the next two months of the season, but that could fundamentally change the, the conversation about the Cubs and what they uh, – their timeline, their – development focus, all of these things. But I think it's probably good to leave it with the bigger picture point that you guys are making, which is that the Cubs need to be on the other side of these conversations, not just like, oh, after the rebuild is complete, like stay competitive, be in the talks for Soto, yada, yada, yada. Well, again, it's the drafting and development that you do and the IFA work that you do that sets you up longer term to keep replenishing, to be in a spot where you could acquire big names and then still be in the next conversation to acquire big names. Because that is clearly something that the Padres and Cardinals and Dodgers do exceedingly well and have done exceedingly well for a long time. And we're just at the start, hopefully, of that long tail for the Cubs. Uh, but we're probably not going to know for a couple more years at least uh, how and if they've made improvements on that side of things. And until then, they can deal only with what's in front of them, and that is a trade deadline where they've got some players that other teams want, and now they just have to do a good job of maximizing those returns. So we'll see what happens uh, tomorrow. Deadline is at 5 p.m. Central on Tuesday, August 2nd. We'll be back at you later this week to deconstruct and unpack whatever did happen. And uh, appreciate you guys taking this in. This is Onda Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic I'm Brett Taylor. Get my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That is Patrick Mooney and Sahadev Sharma. Get theirs at The Athletic. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. Take care, everyone.